You're listening to the We Lead Well podcast, where well-being matters. The show is brought to you in partnership with Heads Together and the Head Teachers Handbook, the Teach Well Alliance, and HeadTeacherChat.com. Enjoy the show. Hi there everyone, I'm really excited to welcome you to this, the very first episode of the We Lead Well podcast. I'm Vicky Maguire, I'm an education coach working in schools to support the improvement of well-being. I'm also a former deputy head teacher and school governor and I am passionate about improving well-being in schools. So in this first series of the show, we'll be hearing from a number of head teachers who are making a difference to staff well-being and finding new ways of leading their schools differently. To start the series off, I invited Steve Waters, CEO of the Teach Well Alliance and founding fellow of the Charter College of Teaching to talk to us. We discuss the innovative work he's doing to support school leaders to improve the well-being of their staff. We also explore exactly what well-being means and its implications in the workplace. We look at how, as a leader, you can gain a greater insight into the current well-being climate in your organisation and what you can do to improve well-being for the benefits of each and every member of staff. Welcome to the show, Steve Waters. Um, it's really nice to have you on the show. How are you doing? Yes, I'm well, thank you. Excellent. Um, if you could start us off, I know you're doing lots of really great work in schools um, to support well-being and improving uh, well-being cultures in schools. Can you just start us off by saying how would you how you would define well-being? Yes, it's an interesting question because we use the term in an everyday sense without really defining it. And that leads or can lead to people believing that well-being is some kind of fluffy, happy-clappy concept. Yeah. Um, But it was interesting... I asked that question to a group of students that I was training uh, on Monday um, to be student wellbeing and mental health ambassadors. And they kept that their definitions included being at peace, having good friendships, and being in an environment where you were supported but you also supported other people and that kind of hit the nail on the head in a way it's you've got your own personal well-being and that leads into self-care looking after yourself looking after yourself physically and mentally and all the things that we know are good for us but none of us really do them fully (laughs) exercise eating properly making sure you have enough sleep etc but our well-being also depends on the environment that we're in yeah Uh, if there's been a movement in business in the corporate sector away from believing that every employee is responsible for their own well-being towards acknowledging that the organisation has a responsibility to create conditions in the workplace 
which support the staff, which consider their work-life balance, enable them to say honestly if they are struggling and to give them support if they're unwell. And that is exactly matched about what happens in schools. So if you look at the worst case scenario in schools that are toxic, there are statements like, leave your troubles at the school gate. Yeah. Um, put on a brave face even if you're feeling unwell. And if you don't like it, there's the door. Um, and perhaps teaching's not for you. Yeah. All, all of those things have been said to teachers who are struggling. So if that is the environment you're working in, you're not likely to develop good well-being because the environment is not supportive, the structure is not supportive, the organisation yeah. is not supportive. You, in those organisations where that happens, you find very little of staff being praised and acknowledged for the work yeah. that they are doing. I guess what you're saying is it's a two it's a two way process, isn't it? And if the school are not providing the support for your well being, that has an impact on your mental health, and then that in in turn has an impact on your ability to look after your well being when you're out of that environment as well. So if you're not being, if you're not able to be well in work, it spills over into your private life. And then like you're saying, yes, an individual has a responsibility to themselves, to self-care, to exercise, to eat well. But that becomes especially difficult if you're struggling at work. Yeah, and I've, I've done quite a lot of work on burnout. Um, and there's somebody called Freudenberger who came up with that word burnout because he compared somebody struggling with burnout to a burning building. And initially the flames start very low key and then gradually through the fire they become all consuming so the building can't sustain itself. Yeah. He applied that to the way that employees go through a stage or stages of burnout and there are 12 stages. So if your organisation is not creating positive environment for you to grow and develop and they are not acknowledging you for what you're doing, you can then start to go through these stages of burnout becoming more and more acute as time goes on. And I believe that the majority of teachers who are leaving the profession, particularly early career teachers, um, we lose 40%, don't we, in the first five years, yeah. um, are victims of burnout where they come to believe that teaching is not for them i think that the national foundation for educational research did um did a survey as well of um, 
1,570 practicing teachers and senior leaders and 26% of them said that they're thinking of leaving teaching in the next 12 months as well. So we do have a retention crisis, don't we? And that's one of the reasons that I wanted to make this show is to try to support schools to retain good staff by creating environments in which people want to work. Yeah, so, and that's, that's the, the work that I do. It's not about, someone said in, um, in a conversation, you know, well-being is not an event, it's a culture. So, no, it's not leaders' fault that in teacher training and in the MPQ qualifications, the qualifications for middle leaders, senior leaders, um, I can't speak for the MPQH, for head teachers and the executive course, but certainly at middle leaders and senior leaders level and in ITT, there is either very little or no reference to how you create a well-being culture in a school. Yeah. So people are not being trained into how to do this. And through no fault of their own, they begin, sometimes they begin with one-off events or token gestures that they feel will help. Yeah. I was um, talking to a head teacher yesterday and she said... Um, that often she sees schools where they, they see well-being as a bolt-on. Yes. Is yes. that something that you see in the schools that you work in? Yes. So we must do something about well-being. We know it's essential. In the Ofsted framework now, although Ofsted aren't doing full inspections yet, but since September 2019, in the leadership and management criteria, the inspection framework says that leaders must um, pay attention to teachers' workload and that they must reduce workload wherever possible if it's creating a problem. And they also say that uh, leaders must protect teachers from bullying and harassment, which is a whole other conversation. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I believe that's the elephant in the room. Nobody wants to talk about it, but it's, it's going on. And some teachers are bullied out of the profession, sadly. Um, so the schools have an obligation. If they want to get a, a, a good offset report, they need to address teacher well-being, bullying and harassment. So... Quite often what they do is, as you said, they think, right, well, we must do something about well-being. What is it that would make the staff feel better? And then they put strategies in place, which are one-off. So, you know, let's, let's have free cakes on Friday or let's have a... Um, a physical exercise event such as after school on Wednesdays, you know, go for a walk or go for a run or, and then some schools bring in 
yoga um, experts who run a class. And none of those things by themselves are negative at all. But if your overall culture is not good, those events will be looked at cynically by the staff. They will say things like, well, it's all very well organising a walk, but nothing's happening to make my job less stressful. Um, and that's part of the problem with resilience as well. That, that I've heard of schools that are not doing well being very well, bringing someone in from the outside to run a workshop on how to be more resilient. And that runs the danger of the staff being told that they ought to be coping better with the conditions. But it's the conditions themselves that are causing the problem. So in the best schools and that are in the best schools are addressing well-being. And in the book that I'm editing, there are 35 of them. In those schools, it doesn't mean that they have arrived at solving the problem of well-being. Some of them are on, still on a journey. <clears throat> but they've addressed the whole organisation and they've said, what is it at an organisation level that we can do to improve staff well-being? So workload. Let's have a look at workload right across the school. Let's run a survey anonymously so that you can tell us what the issues are and then look at how we can address them. And so they isolate the issues that are causing problems and then they start to, to look at those issues and in looking at those issues, they then, they then create a conversation about the whole organisation, the whole school culture. I think that that's the most interesting thing you've said, I think, that you said well-being is not an event, it's a culture. And obviously, you've, you know, you've worked within all these schools. Can you tell me about the work that you're doing with them to help them improve the well-being of staff through the teacher well-being toolkit that you've created? Yeah, so the toolkit is um, schools can either use the toolkit as a kind of um, an off-the-shelf uh, set of strategies, products, um, without support, or they can uh, use a version of the toolkit which involves consultancy support from a well-being coach. Um, and <clears throat> it's not something that is unfamiliar to them because the process that I use is the process that they would use if they were implementing any whole school change. So it's essentially the first thing that you do is you don't presume to know what the problem is. You ask the staff what the problem is or what issues there are. In some schools, it'll be, it'll be, okay, you know, we think our school is, is really good at looking after you, but we could do more. So tell us what we could do. Um, in other schools, it's saying, particularly when a new head comes in, it's saying, well, I'm 
you know, I'm taking over the school at a point where there's concern about results and staff morale. So the first thing I'm going to do is to address the staff morale and look at the issues. So the, so after, the first thing that you do, in my opinion, is to give that's the school a survey, give the staff a survey, bring out the issues, as I was saying before, then find a, an effective way of addressing those issues. So my suggestion would be that, those, that the issues you, um, you've identified should be addressed at all levels in the organisation. So SLT, middle leaders, phase leaders, um, and also importantly, including all the staff on the premises, not just teachers, support staff, TAs, the kitchen staff, the site staff, because quite often they're missed out of the equation and they experience the school in a different way to teachers or um, other classroom support workers. They see it from running as, a, as an organisation from almost the back end of it. Um, and also involving all the staff is very morale boosting for everyone in the school. Um, and so you would address the issues at that level and then you would get feedback and draw up a report of what it is that staff have identified with some suggestions coming from the staff about how you might address it. Um, and then you need some kind of vehicle to be cross-curricular. And one vehicle that works really well is to create a, um, a staff well-being group. And quite often this is a voluntary role. So you create that group, and, but it's not run by a senior leader. It's run by one of the staff. So that group then might consider the report that you've published and as a cross-curricular group might come up with recommendations for how you address those issues. Then when you've, done, when you've identified how you're going to progress, you then need to monitor the impact of that. So in the toolkit are monitoring tools, both um, online and offline, where the school asks itself, so how are things going at least once a term? And then at the end of 12 months, because that's a minimum time that I believe that a school needs, especially if it hasn't um, addressed well-being as a, an organisation. Um, at the end of 12 months, you then evaluate what you've done and again, you bring in as many different groups responsible for different areas of the school to feedback. So the staff wellbeing group, SLT, middle leaders, senior leaders, whatever the structure is. And then you compile a report out of that feedback and you then identify what you're going to do in the second year. So, I see this as a three-year process. Second year, you 
look specifically at what it is that you're going to do in broad terms and then you think ahead again to the third year so in very broad terms what is it that you'd like to achieve by year three the end of year three yeah. and then it becomes a three-year cycle where well-being never stops being addressed and it becomes part of the school development plan it becomes embedded in the work that the school does yeah and once sorry once, to interrupt you carry on yeah. one school one school for example um in the book said they whenever they're making a decision whatever that decision is however small or however large they always start with a question if we took this decision what impact would it have on the staff that's in my view that's how you should be approaching staff well-being you know if you for example if you want to change the timing of a parent's evening the first question you would ask is what is the impact on the staff and again if you don't know what the impact is on all members of staff then it's a good idea to ask them because yeah. you're only seeing for example senior leadership team will have their own perspective and their reasons for wanting to change the time but you're not seeing it from all the staff point of view you can't possibly and somebody may come up with something that you'd never even thought of yeah um and that's so if you take a decision based on what impact does this have on the staff then you're always going to be on solid ground because the staff know that you're not going to make a decision without involving them in that process yeah one of the things that that um, I was thinking as you were speaking is you you talk there about SLT asking every single time they, they're making some changes what the impact is on staff and you take a lot I think in a school where there's a, a well-being culture or, or a, a climate of well-being the staff are involved in those decisions and feeding back. Do you find that heads ever struggle with accepting what staff are telling them? And that sometimes head teachers or senior leaders see things in a different way? Well, I think I mean, this is some, uh, it's an interesting question because it, it hasn't, that hasn't arisen in the accounts that schools have told me in the case studies uh, that I've put together. Because, I guess, the reason that they haven't done that is because the head teachers in those schools believe that staff well-being is part of the culture. Yeah. So when they are determined to change their schools so that staff are looked after, are engaged in their pro professional development and not controlled, are not judged, are not made to jump through accountability hoops, then the head teachers are already 
receptive to what the staff are going to tell them. I mean, that's not to say that a head teacher mightn't disagree, but a head teacher might disagree and yet still carry out a strategy which the, the staff have recommended because they realise that it's for the good of the school that the staff are asking for this. Now, of course, you can't run a school with every single detail being referred back to the staff. So when I said, you know, you asked the question, what impact will this have on the staff? There are obviously some decisions that have very little impact on the staff that you have to make on a day-to-day -day basis. But, but the question is, if this decision impacts on the whole staff, what, you know, what effect will that have? Rather than, I don't know, um, you know, deciding that you're going to change the fonts on a newsletter. You wouldn't go back to yes. the staff for that. Yes. Um, but if it involves anything to do with their ability to teach effectively and their working conditions, then you would ask the staff. I mean, I'll give you an example. There are some schools in, in the case studies that implemented a uh, leave early on Friday policy. Um, and so the policy was that half an hour after the school closed to pupils that the staff were um, advised to that, that the school was going to um, close to staff half an hour after the end of the school day. Now, on the face of it, that seems like a good idea. But what some head teachers found was that some staff were more stressed by leaving the premises early than staying, completing their work, putting that to one side. So they might, for example, plan all their lessons for Monday. Yeah. Then leaving the school knowing that over the weekend they've done their work. Yeah. So this, that's a good example of a, a strategy which on the face of it seems, you know, wonderful. But you'll only know what the staff think if you ask them about the impact and then you might get some surprising results. So as a result, as a consequence of the feedback, those schools then, then said, we're going to keep leaving on a Friday early, early Friday as a, you know, as a part of our school. But it's entirely up to you whether you want to use that. Yeah. We're not saying that every member of staff has to leave on Friday after half an hour after the school ends. What we're saying is that we don't expect anybody to stay. We're not walking around the school saying, why is staff not working until five o'clock on a Friday? Yeah. And so if you can build in flexibility, then that is really important because teachers work in different ways. And if you're causing more stress by closing the school early on Friday, that's obviously running counter to what you're trying to do.
Yeah. I think the work that you do in, in the toolkit, there are, there are things that you can use to evaluate the whole school and the leadership in a, I don't like the phrase top down, but in a top down way, but it feels like also you do things in a bottom up way. So you've got the index of teacher burnout and you've got the, the matrix that focuses on the people in the environment. And I know that you've done two um, quite big surveys of teachers to explore their well-being. What were your main findings of those, the, the things that staff feel about well-being in schools? Yeah, well, those surveys were designed to get feedback on from teachers, especially the larger one, which is a thousand teachers, um, to get feedback on teachers about their own mental health and how their mental health was being affected. Um, and I mean, the results <clears throat> were, they weren't surprising, but the extent of the mental ill health was surprising. Um, there are, and, and it was anonymous, so I can't contact the, the teacher's concern, but there were, teachers there who were burnt out and considering leaving there were teachers who were uh, signed off there were actually some quite shocking results weren't there with teachers uh, one comment a teacher sadly said that they felt like committing suicide yeah there were three teachers who there were three teachers i think who said that they were considering committing suicide one one teacher another teacher said that they had thought about crashing their car on the way to work so they didn't have to go into into school another teacher said that she just felt like walking and walking and never coming back so and because of the size of the survey, we can't discount these these comments as being unusual or untypical. Um, so, you know, if you're feeling like that, then, and these teachers obviously, before they got to that point, before that comment, <clears throat> they'd made lots of comments about not you know not feeling appreciated in their school um of being judged um being criticized being told that they weren't good enough that things had to improve um and just the environment that they were working in would create mental ill health in a lot of people i mean you'd have to be really strong yeah um i think the 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 shame of it is that for early career teachers if they go into a school where the well-being is excellent then or well the well-being is good they inevitably love teaching enjoy their work yes it's hard work but work, workload by itself 
from the work I've done is not a sufficient factor to lead to mental ill health. Yeah. So if you're working in a school where you're looked after and your your mental health is taken care of in as positive way as possible, then your workload goes down the list as a key determinant of stress. However, if you are working in a school which is the opposite of that, then your workload goes up the scale. So it's almost as if teachers in schools that are looked after can better cope with their workload. Now, whether that's also because the school takes their workload into more account, you know, that relationship, I'm sure, is there to some extent. But what it kind of shows is that in the national picture, workload often comes up as a key issue. And it is a key issue, of course it is. But it's not the only issue. Yeah. There are other issues which are as stressful, if not more so. Um, And if teachers are happy in their school, workload itself is not sufficient to cause them to have mental ill health. The importance of being valued and trusted I'm having a lot of conversations with leaders in schools and um, it, it would, it would it, well, it's very clear to me that in the best schools where there is a culture of supporting staff well-being, teachers are valued and trusted to do their job. And in that environment, those teachers are prepared to, to work because they enjoy the work, because they feel like it's valuable work that they're doing. In, I, I know you've mentioned um, the mental health of, of staff, and I know you're doing a lot of work with mental health first aid in schools. Do you, can you tell me a bit about the work that you're doing in that aspect of well-being? Yes. Yeah, so this year <clears throat> we're offering um, three qualifications, first aid for mental health. And these qualifications parallel first aid for physical health. So the setup in, in a similar way. Um, <clears throat> so a level one, um, there's a level one course, four hours, there's a level two course, six hours, and a level three course, three days. The level three course is about leading and supervising mental ill health in an organization. So that would be suitable, for example, for a well-being lead in a school. Um, And all of the courses um, have the same aim in common. If you think about physical first aid, then if you train in in first aid physically, you wouldn't... Your job is to look after the person who has had an accident and to keep them safe and not do them any harm until the paramedics arrive. Yeah. If it's a serious incident. So the same with mental health, that you're not there to solve a problem. You're there to support someone, to listen to them. And if it's an urgent 
situation, you're there to support them as long as possible until more professional help arrives. And sometimes in a case of somebody who's threatening suicide, that can be the paramedics again. Yeah. So the training enables you to listen actively to avoid making judgmental comments including comments like oh it must be terrible or you know how are you coping with this i, I wouldn't know what to do that kind of thing yeah. with it's accepting what that person's telling you and supporting them without making a judgmental or um a loaded comment about how they're feeling and but also the training trains you to become more aware of mental health problems and how they can appear in the workplace. Yeah. So one obvious um, point is somebody who, you know, begins, for example, to sit on their own in the staff room. Um, doesn't really get or or isolates themselves in their own classroom yeah and doesn't really engage with the rest of the staff so a mental health first aider if trained mental health first aider they because they're trained in that role they're able to go up to that person and say to them you know i've just seen that you know i've noticed that you've been keeping yourself to yourself lately and you haven't been your usual self you know I've seen you kind of keep yourself apart from other people and not really talk is there anything that you know I can do to help and because that person has a role as a first mental health first aider then the member of staff is more likely to accept their help Whereas if it's someone who, from the staff who's not trained and it's a kind of a random approach, then they haven't got the same ability to relate. It may be that the teacher feels that they're intruding, you know, yeah. why are you asking me this? So it's, but when you've trained the staff, it's also important, in my view, that you train the children. And that's where the student wellbeing and mental health ambassadors come in. So they're trained not to be problem solvers. They're trained to be problem handlers. Right. And their role is to offer help. Because they're, they're wearing badges with wellbeing ambassador on, on them, and the school have been told what their role is, then pupils can approach them and say i'm struggling a bit with this or i'm worried about that about something or um, and also they're trained to notice students who may need help who don't approach them so for example in a in a, well in any school but in just as an example in a primary school it may be that they've noticed a pupil sitting by themselves and not having very many friends yeah or or someone just being really upset and so they're, they're trained on how to approach 
that pupil and ask them how things are going. Now, if you've got the staff well-being group and you've got staff mental health first aiders, um, and just to kind of reiterate what I said before, the first aiders could be taken from any role in the school. You know, they might well be uh, lunchtime supervisors. Yeah. Um, but they can be teachers, they can be site staff, anyone who, who wants to occupy that role. If you've got staff trained and then you've got the pupils trained, then you've got three important levers just to, which support staff well-being and pupil well-being. And then you begin to work together as a community. Yeah, it, it's, I think it's really important that schools have mental health first aid training as part of their well-being strategy as 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 part of the the process because it makes it more um i think one of one of the things that i think people struggle with is accepting that they've got a problem and being able to go to somebody and say i'm really struggling because often it's it can be or it has been in the past perceived as a as a weakness and people don't like to suggest to go to someone and suggest that they're, they're weak or they're struggling and in terms of how that helps to create an environment in which people can readily accept that they've got an, an issue that they're struggling with and go to somebody and be open with them is really important yeah. and <clears throat> you mentioned before about about leadership in a school which has good well-being it's important that the leaders themselves are supported because yeah. if you are a leader and you attempt to support everybody else without your own support, you could be in danger of burnout. In schools which have been really successful in implementing well, uh, staff well-being, everybody's included and that means that the head teacher is part of that community yeah so for example i know one school where the head teacher said to the staff and they are a, a good well-being school said to the staff I'll, i'm going to need your help because i feel really stressed because this is happening, this is happening, this is happening. And so if you notice me around the school and I'm you know, looking, looking really tired and, and uptight, then come and have a chat with me and say, you know, it may be that, you, that all you do is to say, oh, you know, you're looking really tired. Can I get you a, a brew? And then one after one Christmas he came back and he's and he put on half a stone over the Christmas because <laughs> being you know he told the staff that said oh you know I'm terrible I've done nothing over the holidays except you know sit sit and watch <laughs> movies and and eat and um so I need to lose some weight 
So what I'd like you to do is um, if you've seen me around the school with a chocolate bar or a biscuit <laughs> in my hand, I want you to come and take it off me. Now, so what he's doing is he's modelling how stuff should be. Yeah. You know, he's saying I'm as liable as anyone else to suffer from stress and anybody in this school community can help anyone else. It, it's not hierarchical. <clears throat> you know, I will take care, as good care of you, but I need sometimes to get help to look after myself because I'm no use to you if I am ill and off school. And so that, you know, and in that school, there is no problem with retention. There's no problem with recruitment when there is a vacancy which is very rare there are usually between 60 and 80 applicants yeah and that's because the word has got out that this is a great place to work and the leader is not setting themselves up as the you know the fount of all knowledge about everything they just another member of staff yeah. trying to do a job just like anyone is and so that gives permission to staff to go to the head and say i'm really struggling myself you know i've had this happen to me and this happened to me um and there's no judgment about their teaching because they're trying to do something about it they're trying to address it yeah, I love that, that, that the idea that everybody supports everybody else regardless. And that I think if that can be part of your culture, you can create that openness and the honesty um, in your school then so that people are prepared to share things and support each other and, and talk to each other. Um, we're coming to the end of the interview now, but I'd just like to know if you could only give one tip to heads to improve well-being in their schools, what would you tell them? Good question. <laughs> um, I would say begin by asking the staff. Get that information. Usually to start with, it's an, an anonymous survey. As time goes on and the staff become more trusting and appreciate the, the work that you're doing it may be possible to have and hopefully it will be open conversations in different forums but to start with the most important thing to do is to find out when you're a new head is to find out what is going on from the staff yeah and they'll tell you if you say to them i'm concerned about your well-being, I'm concerned about your workload. We're not in a good place as a school and I want to support you better. So I'm going to ask you to complete a survey, be entirely anonymous. Tell me what the problem is. Yeah, brilliant. Um, and if heads want to access your services, Steve, where do they need to go? So the best place to go is the website. Um, which is www.teachwellalliance.com and there's a page on the site 
well, two pages. One is the Teach Well Toolkit, which explains all about how the toolkit works. And there's another page called Training Matters, which is a summary of the training that we offer to schools. So either of those pages um, will give you enough information. Um, and it'll also give you information on how to make an appointment to talk to me if you're interested in exploring um, work in terms of mental health in your school. Great. And you're on LinkedIn and Twitter as well, aren't you? And I'll, I'll put the details of that in the show notes so people can I'm see. On LinkedIn and Twitter, Twitter at TeachWellAll. Um, and I'm also on Facebook, but less um, coverage on Facebook than LinkedIn or Twitter. Okay. Um, I just want to say thank you so much for the time that you've spent today on the show. There have been some really great and insightful, um, I think our discussion's been really useful and hopefully heads will be able to take some tips from it and to start moving forward in terms of um, how they support wellbeing in their schools. So thanks again. It's been really interesting and useful discussion and hopefully we can we can chat at some point in the future as well. Yeah, sure. You're very welcome. Well, I hope that interview has helped to really clarify what we're referring to when we talk about well-being. The most insightful thing I think that Steve said was that well-being isn't an event, it's a culture. And I think that sums up for me what well-being is. To create effective well-being in schools, we have to change school cultures. It's clear that Steve and the Teach Well Alliance are doing some great work helping schools to audit their well-being culture. And I hope that you're taking away some practical actions that you can implement to improve the well-being climates in your own organisation. Before we go, I'd just like to make you aware of a conference that Steve is running called the Teachers Come First Conference, which is taking place on the 16th of October. He's running this conference in conjunction with a group called the There Is Another Way group. It's a group of educators, school leaders who've come together because they believe that schools can be run in a different way without such a reliance on high stakes accountability. They're doing some great work um, and you can find out more about this work at their website at the-otherway.com. Thanks so much for listening to the episode. Take care of yourself, take care of your staff and lead well. This episode of the Lead Well podcast was brought to you in partnership with Heads Together and the Teacher's Handbook, the Teach Well Alliance and headteacherchats.com.